I think everyone needs a coach. I mean, mentorship and guidance have been incredibly crucial in our development as a company. So I thought I'd introduce you to some amazing coaches as part of this special series of Meet My Business. So on today's episode of Meet My Business, our special coaching edition, I have the privilege to be chatting to Gareth Dart. He's a life slash business coach and mentor, and he's super passionate about supporting gifted, neurodivergent, and twice exceptional adults. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me, and I really appreciate it. Awesome. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking all about what Gareth does and, and also focusing in on the exact kind of coaching he's been working with and ultimately talking about how you can help clients develop a sense of meaning in their lives. But before we get to all of that, Gareth, how did you get into coaching initially? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting story. Back in 1997, just finished matric and I enrolled in a degree at Rhodes Bachelor of Social Science. And at the end of my third year, I was working full-time, two jobs and studying, not realizing that I had ADHD and depression. And at the end of my third year, I suffered burnout and uh, went into severe depression, which lasted about a year. I then went into the workspace and uh, still with my passion for working and helping people, I became an entrepreneur. I worked in, in various sectors um, and at the age of 35, was diagnosed with ADHD. In that time, I was coaching people, mentoring them um, in their jobs, not charging for it, doing it because that was my, almost my sideline, but also my passion, you know, just helping people get on their path, find their core strength and move forward. And at 35, I went to UNISA. I did a degree in, in counseling psychology and I worked for a local charity as a lay counselor and later trainer of life coaching programs, personal growth and leadership. And that's where I found my knack for helping people. So in a nutshell, it was my own ADHD, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, which is a neurodivergent condition like um, autism, dyslexia and dyspraxia, that together with battling depression and anxiety my whole life, that kind of led me down the path of psychology and back towards helping myself and helping others. So that's where I'm at today. The degree that you did with UNISA, I've noticed not every coach that does kind of life coaching has a full psychology background, where it seems as though your background in psychology is a little bit more fleshed out. How has that background kind of informed the work that you do with your coaching clients? Before I, I gave myself the title of life coach and business coach, I had the idea to become a clinical psychologist and studied through Brunel University in the UK. Um, I'm, com I'm currently completing a Master of Science in Psychological Sciences. And at the time, during COVID, I worked for a local hospital in, in East London, um, here in South Africa, where I did my community service in clinical psychology. And so my, my background is rooted in and grounded in psychology and the science of psychology, the science of clinical psychology, the science of behavior and just where, where life has taken me in terms of the work that I do and, uh, earning an income for myself, my passion with helping those, um, who have got mental health conditions and those who don't, I felt that I was better slotted in within the life, life coaching and business coaching space 
as it gave me the flexibility to step outside of just helping those people with mental health conditions, such as depression, anxiety, substance use issues, um, schizophrenia, etc., and take my skill and use it more broadly in supporting more people uh, tap into the gifts that they've got, tap into exploring the negative way that they talk to themselves and tap into the traumas that have shaped them and have, and have brought them on their path and things that have held them in, this, in a state of bondage for so many years. And this is what I found working at the health department. I found many of my, my patients and clients were regular individuals who had no mental health diagnosis. They were battling with grief. They were battling with burnout. They were battling with various insecurities, financial issues. My first question when I spoke to a group of people or an individual, I would say, so tell me, how do you cope? The first thing that a person would say to me was, well, you know, I go for a run or I make a smoothie or, you know, and I sing Kumbaya and all this stuff. And I said, well, okay, well, okay. Do you smoke weed? Do you, you know, do you take recreational drugs? Do you drink? And then I started seeing people nodding. I started seeing people raising their hand and saying, yes, actually I do. I do battle. I do battle with coping and, uh, COVID really shone a spotlight on that, in that it was one of these unnatural global events that we didn't know when, when it was going to end. Everyone was impacted in one way or another, the loss of life, loss of freedoms of movement. I mean, going to the shop, you have to wear a mask and uh, all of these various things, regular folk were, were really, really battling. And I thought, well, okay, so people are battling. We're resorting to negative coping in the form of drinking all, I'm taking substances, painkillers, anti-inflammatories, recreational substances, gambling, and things that cause us more harm than good when, when they're done in excess. And that led me down the path of the life coach route in terms of helping others and, and seeing where and how I could reconnect them to the parts of themselves that that didn't want that, that wanted more for themselves. And that led me down the path to being a life coach. And, uh, and that's what I, that's what I currently do. And, and the more people I meet on my journey, the more I learn, I learn from them. So it's not a, not a one-way traffic. It's not me giving advice. There's a reciprocal learning that takes place between myself and my coaching clients. While my background is in psychology and grounded in, in science, Many of the world's top life coaches don't have psychology degrees, nor do they have degrees at all. And, you know, I could ask, do I need a degree to be a life coach? And the answer is no. Are you a person who has suffered loss, suffered divorce, suffered financial hardship? Are you someone who's, who's had the worst of life issues impacting you? And have you come out stronger? Have you learned from it? Have you found meaning in the suffering that you've encountered over the, over your life. And if the answer is yes, and if they've learned from that and grown from it and used it as a lesson, these are ideal candidates for coaching others. You know, there are individuals who are cushioned in life 
financially. So they've got financial scaffolding, trust funds, they've got families who, you know, cushion them with all sorts of things to protect them from the outside world. And they're not impacted by the daily struggles that most people are impacted by at some stage or another. So when these people who have no traumas, they have no issues that they've had to overcome on their own, try and come into coaching, it becomes quite difficult for them to empathize with those who have actually battled and who are battling. And that's what I found. So to answer your question, I think while psychology, a degree or degrees in psychology has helped me, I don't think it's a prerequisite to, to coach and mentor other people. And the specific coaching clients that you work with, you've kind of found a very specific group. You mentioned neurodivergent people, also gifted people, and there's definitely, you know, crossover between those. How did that become kind of your focus? About a year and a half ago, I spotted online an opportunity to coach for a company based in the UK that specializes in neurodiversity. And I thought, well, you know, I am neurodivergent myself. So having ADHD, I battle with focus, battle with concentration, have periods of anxiety, panic attacks, depression. And I found ways and means to cope with that, with various support systems. And I thought, okay, well, this is an opportunity for me to learn from experts in the field of coaching and experts in the field of neurodiversity. And I applied and I was offered a position and that's where I, where I do a lot of my work at the moment. And in my coaching space, working with neurodivergent adults, when I say neurodivergent, there's the two terms. The one is neurodiverse. So as, as human beings, we're all neurodiverse. Our, our, um, our brain structures are all slightly different. We process things a little bit differently to each other, but neurodivergence is something that impacts 20% of the population as we, as we, we're starting to learn more and more about it. So it's things such as autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, neurodivergent conditions, including issues relating to a stroke, difficulty with speech, remembering words, um, forgetfulness, and also ADD and ADHD. There's always been such a, a, a stigma around things such as ADHD that, you know, I look back at when I was in school and, you know, I was, I was quite a busy kid in school, you know, always told to sit down and I was always fidgeting and uh, school bored me and I didn't fit in and I had to mask my natural behaviors to fit in. And while this is quite normal for teens, you know, trying to fit in and being part of the in-group, it was a lot more difficult for me as someone with ADHD and someone who thought differently to many of his peers. And so this was one of the reasons that led me down the rabbit hole of understanding neurodiversity more myself and neurodivergence. And in coaching these clients, part of what I needed to do for them was write reports for them that would allow them to find healthy ways to cope with time, organization, manage stress, anxiety, negative self-talk, this 
narrative that we have that, that we're not good enough and these perfectionist traits. And what I found was there was a common theme with my clients of my clients being more introverted than extroverted, that the majority of my clients battle with anxiety. So it's neurodivergence, which would be autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, coupled with mood fluctuations, which includes spikes in anxiety. An example of a client would be a woman who at the age of 28 undertook a PhD degree in a highly complex field of study. And it took her three years, but it took her peers two years. And when she spoke to me about it, she said she felt useless because it took her three years instead of two years. Not looking back and not looking around and saying, wow, you know, I actually achieved this before the age of 30 in a really, really complex field. And something I also started using a lot more with my clients when describing them was the word gifted. And when I use the word gifted, I, I mean in the, in the form of intellectual giftedness. So it would be clients with an IQ of 135 plus with a hundred being the norm, the average for society and 135 and higher being what we call gifted. And then it would be just graded in the different categories of giftedness. So I found a high correlation between giftedness and neurodiversity and looking inwards and doing my master's degree, I realized that I was on the gifted spectrum and, and I'd always see, always seen myself as somewhat quirky, somewhat stupid an outlier. And I was quite embarrassed with the, with the hobbies that I had, things like reading encyclopedias from cover to cover as a child, doing 3000 piece, um, jigsaw puzzles at the age of eight and nine and, uh, memorizing trivial pursuits. These things were quite cool for me. I loved it, but my friends found it really odd. I mean, and so these were things that I had to suppress with my relationships with my peers. And in meeting these gifted clients who were also neurodivergent, which we call twice exceptional. So that there's a term, which is a fairly new term called twice exceptional or 2E. It refers to those who are gifted and also neurodivergent. So they are inverted commas, blessed with giftedness, intellectual giftedness, and also have the disability of a neurodivergent condition which holds them back. So you're kind of given all of these amazing gifts with the one hand and then taken away with the other. And it's this battle that one has to face and manage over time. And I found that working with these clients gave me a, an immense amount of joy in helping them unpack years and years of self-loathing, self-hate, negative self-talk, depression, attempted suicides, being outliers, being called the nastiest things on the planet and meeting them and saying to them, oh my God, you know, you, your brain is just amazing. You know, just how you connect seemingly unrelatable things together and come up with something new. And so for me, what's been exciting about this role within a life, within my space as a life coach and business coach has been that. It's given me the opportunity to kind of hold the mirror to my clients and say, look, you're actually a really beautiful human being and you've got immense capacity. And 
It's not to say that those who are not gifted do not have immense capacity. There are certainly those who are gifted who waste their intellect. So it, it just so happens that this is the client base that I work with now and that I can relate with and people who I can help peel away the various layers of social conditioning that they've had over years to unlock who they are. It seems to me as well that working with these clients is also giving you a deeper understanding of yourself, like working with and seeing aspects of yourself and helping people unpack while also perhaps unpacking your own things at the same time. You've hit the nail on the head and, you know, um, I suppose you could talk to anyone who studies a particular area of study. So let's just use an example of an oncologist, someone who specializes in cancer treatment. And you ask them, why did you go down this path? And they'll say, well, my mother passed away from breast cancer, or I have a history of cancers in my family. You meet someone who is a cardiologist and likewise, they've got a history of heart disease in their family. So the same applies to those who work in the field of psychiatry and psychology. Often there's a history of mental health issues in their family or within themselves that they have had to battle with and struggle with over the years and kind of do a bit of introspection in, in understanding themselves better. So for me, going down the path of self-understanding and peeling back the layers of conditioning that I've experienced over the years, it's been a two-way journey. It's been one where I've had the privilege of learning from my clients that I'm not alone. And two, they've learned from me around healthy coping mechanisms and ways in which they can structure their day and their life in order to maximize their purpose and the meaning that they have in their life. So it's a two-way street. So really, really great question. So from my side, you know, every day I'm learning more about myself. They're, they're days of trauma where I unpack stuff that I realize in my hat I've been suppressing this for so long. Or days I say, you know what, Gareth, you know, you're doing it. Okay. And, uh, you know, where you, where you want to be in as a perfectionist, you know, but you are pointed in the right direction and you are chipping away at it every day. And, uh, so that, that's what I, what I try and, and focus on with myself. And I realize that, you know, every emotion that I have, every emotion that my client has is valid. And, you know, we live in a society of, of pseudo psychology, you know, everyone's a psychologist, you know, we talk about our exes being narcissists or bipolar. We use these words so disparagingly, mm -hmm. you know, it's and, throw around uh, the word gaslighting, like it's nothing. We, we do. We try to absolutely. And, and we say, well, but yeah, like everyone has trauma and we minimize the traumas that people have experienced. And we make these statements like, no, 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 just be happy, you know, and that we need to chase happiness and social media doesn't make it any easier. You know, you go online, you go onto Instagram, Facebook, we don't see the dysfunction that people have in their life. Very often we don't see their distress and their dysfunction. We see what they want us to see. And so we've got to realize that that social media world is not as real as it's made out to be. And when we compare ourselves to that all the time, 
of course, we're going to come unstuck. We're going to come short because we, we can never aspire to that. We can never be the person with all those filters on that they use when they're on social media, filters to remove blemishes, filters to whiten their teeth, to brighten their eyes, to tuck in the tummy. These things are toxic for us as people. And we've got to be really, really mindful of that. And uh, so what I do with my coaching clients, but many of them are so, they, they're involved in so many activities and it becomes overwhelming. And I get them to make a list and cut down all the stuff that, that doesn't serve them anymore and let go of stuff so that their day isn't packed with activities, but it's actually packed with work that is meaningful, sleep, which is really, really important for all, all of us, and rest. We tend to praise people who are on the grind, you know, working 24 hours a day. And I've got friends who are stockbrokers, economists, et cetera, um, air traffic control, and they're working very long hours and they kind of hold it like a badge of honor. And when I see them again, they've, they're either in a psychiatric hospital or they have dropped out of the work or out of varsity because they're burnt out. And, you know, burnout is is not something that we get over with a weekend or a long weekend. It's something that can take months, if not years, to get ourselves back on track. So for me, working in healthcare, working with neurodivergent and gifted individuals, I've spotted a theme of overwork and the need to, you know, rely on less sleep, work, 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 and burnout. And uh, it's at the point of burnout is when they generally come to me for, for counseling or for coaching is when their relationship is not over, when they quit their job and we now have to start regrouping and picking up the pieces. So yeah, it's a really, really interesting one. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs especially can really relate to that where it's like, if you're not busy, you don't feel worthy. And then a lot of people, myself included, end up filling up a lot of time with busy work to feel like something's being pushed forward. And, and I mean, on the sleep thing, the amount of people I've spoken to who go like, yeah, I only slept three hours last night as if it's like a good thing or as if it's like impressive somehow. I love that you're helping people unpack that because I think a lot of people, neurodiverse or not, need to break those those patterns because it's just as you said burnout isn't re released in a long weekend i wish it was because I, I took a break a couple of weeks ago i wish that that was enough it wasn't it yeah. wasn't at all um so yeah i, I think you're really yeah, doing some, some incredible work with, with these people and helping them actually get their life into a place where it becomes a lot more sustainable because what a lot of us are doing is not sustainable we've got this culture of being in the grind we've got to work and work and work and work and you know, we've, we, we're plugged into so many things. You know, if, if we look back into the era of our grandparents and our parents, as an example, you know, they had pen pals. So what they would do is they would write a letter. It would, they would go to the post office w with their parent, you know, hop, skip and a jump, pop the stamp on the envelope, send it across to a friend or family member in Australia or anywhere else in the world or another city in, in South Africa and wait four to six weeks for, for a response. Today, we live in instant everything. And I realized a couple of years ago, I was on social media quite a bit and I didn't realize how much screen time I was on, I had. And I was in various groups offering advice to people who were battling with various, various issues. 
And, you know, I would get a message from someone as just as an example at, at 10 AM saying, Gareth, can you help me with this? And at 10.01, I would get a question mark. Mm. At 10.04, four minutes later, I'd say, oh, I see. So you are purposefully ignoring me. And then at 10.06, I'm then told to bugger off because I'm useless and I have not been there for them within six minutes of them sending me a message. I'm experiencing this more and more and more. It's almost as though whatever I'm doing, I need to drop that and respond to my phone. And, you know, I look at, I look at family members of mine, my sister, Monica in particular, she's got it done really, really well. She's a photographer and also big into social media. What she does, she just turns her phone, all the notifications off and she says, well, you know, eight to 10, I'm doing this. And so she doesn't allow her environment to dictate the direction that she takes. She is in control. And I learned that from her and it's helped me tremendously in terms of managing my own energy levels and going the psychologist path. You know, we are, we build per hour, we build per 50 minutes. And you know, when you're starting off on, on that and you, and you're billing and the, and the billing is really good and you say, oh, well, you know, eight hours a day, you know, I can do 12 hours, you know, it's going to push my pay up by 50% and then I can buy this and then I can do this and invest in this. And before I knew it, I was working 12, 13, 14 hours a day and totally exhausted and to the point of burnout. And what happened was I went from 75 kilograms of my weight to 105 because I was sitting behind my desk all day on calls, eating, 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 drinking sugary drinks, staying focused on my clients and gaining weight, I'd got to the heaviest I'd ever been. And I had to look back and say, wait a second, I'm supposed to be in wellness. I have a degree in health science and psychology, but yet I am not the epitome of health. And I had to look back and say, well, actually, you know, my, my ideal number in terms of clients per day is six. That's what I can manage. And that allows me space to go for a walk spend time with my loved ones and chill. You know, we talk about Netflix and chill, um, you know, just do things that connect with the people close to us and do things that are meaningful to us that are, that's outside of work. And I found that was one way for me to reduce my weight back to 75. It took me about four months, five months of walking and I eventually got that right. And it was at that moment that I realized that the body and mind are one in the same, you know, we can't separate them. Back in the early eighties, there was a doctor by the name of George Engel. He coined the term biopsychosocial. So if you can break it up, bio means the body, psycho means the mind and social being your social circumstance, your friends, your work, et cetera. He had a biopsychosocial model that he employed in helping patients from a medical perspective. And it's only recently that the field of psychology and coaching has started to pick up on this model and start to employ it in assisting clients. So when we look at clients from a life coaching perspective, it's not just about developing positive, healthy habit and, you know, being happy. It's about doing things that are meaningful for us 
It's about digging deep, a lot of introspection, looking at our patterns of behavior, why we have the relationships we have and why we continue with these patterns and looking at the bio side, our health, what we feed our bodies and our social circumstance, those people that we surround ourselves with. So we look at all, all aspects of those things from a coaching perspective to give our clients the best possible assistance that we can mindful that our role is not to judge our role is not to dictate to them what to do and how to do it but to be a sounding board for them so so what i what i do is i describe myself as a as a co-pilot in their car so my clients will say to me should i get divorced i say i don't know should you you know work out the pros and cons for yourself so what we try and do as as life coaches is to firstly we believe that, that every person has the right to dignity and autonomy, the right to make their, their own decisions. And our role is to be there and to be present with them through the distress, through the dysfunction, through the highs and lows, as they start to peel back layers of negative self-talk and identify who they are, what they stand for, and to help them lead a meaningful life. So yeah, it's really, really important for me. Amazing. Gareth, you've given us such incredible insights. If somebody would like to get in touch with you, perhaps work with you, how do they do so? Okay. I've got a website and it's www.garethdart.com. And you can also contact me via WhatsApp on international code 27. South African mobile number 083-795-4728. And my email address is hello at garethstart.com. So what I offer my clients is 20 minutes. I call it a chemistry call, free 20-minute chemistry call. I'm not everyone's cup of tea and I don't expect to be. So that gives us an opportunity to meet, to connect, at no charge to the potential client and to see whether there is a good match in terms of what I can offer them and where they are in their journey. And uh, I work with many, many coaches around the world, many exceptional coaches and mentors who are experts in their field, who if I feel that this would not be a good coaching relationship or they feel that I'm not a good fit for them, I can connect them with various other resources thanks amazing if you've been thinking about starting a podcast but don't really know where to start go to our website baird.media that's b-a-i-r-d dot media you can find the book become a Podmaster: everything you need to know to master the art of podcasting and you can also sign up to one of our mentorship programs where we help you figure out develop and produce your show from start to finish